don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on Social Minds. You can't jump on every single bandwagon. If there is something you feel passionately about, think about, well, how does that impact my own organisation? And what have we been doing about it? And how real is it for us? And then be true and authentic to that if you feel that it's meaningful. Or frankly, keep quiet. <laughs> I mean, just keep just keep quiet. We heard all about inclusion and representation from two special guests. Firstly, Scott Morrison, who is the founder of The Boom, but runs his own mentoring program and has decades of experience working in the advertising industry for names like Diesel, Levi Strauss & Co and Saatchi & Saatchi. Our second guest today is Aruj Aftab, the Diversity Campaigns Executive at Brand Advance, winner of the Asian Media Awards 2019 and the creator behind the Done With Diversity campaign. Yes, the events of 2020 have been a catalyst for meaningful conversations around race, gender, disability and inclusion. But where are we going and what does the new generation have to say about holding the advertising and marketing industry and businesses in general to account? In this episode, we spoke about the issues surrounding the word BAME, the origins of the term diversity and where the line gets drawn when it comes to tokenism. Everyone's treading like on eggshells. I'm walking on eggshells slightly because businesses have realised that they do not have representation behind the scenes to make diversity work. And to make diversity work, you need the inclusion or representation behind the scenes. All this and more coming up. What has 2020 taught brands and marketers about diversity? Ruj, if we start with you. What has it taught marketers about diversity? I'll be honest, I don't think it's taught them much. I think, I don't think anyone's learning much about, I mean, that in the greatest respect. Um, I don't know. I feel like the diversity as a word is so broad, but I feel like it's very tunnel vision. So I don't think it's taught them a lot apart from knowing that the that marketers probably need to implement something in their workplaces and on their campaigns. I think that's what it's taught them is that something is needed, but I don't I don't necessarily agree it's diversity. So that that word itself to me is um is a bit wishy-washy, but yeah, that, that's for me. Scott, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean I I don't I don't I don't disagree, but I, I actually I think that it's taught businesses or marketers or the world of marketing this is a, a big issue. It's a complicated issue. It's an issue that people are very passionate about. And it is not, it's something that has been talked about for a long time. And I think for a long time, nobody's done anything about. So the difference between talking about something and doing something about it has suddenly become really real. And I also think that, you know, the threat that's been around for such a long time that consumers really want this, this stuff and people are really talking about it. people aren't putting up for, putting up with brands that don't embody what they look like is coming to fruition you know again it's something that's been talked about for a long time but it's now happening and it's because it's not just because of and and I totally agree with the rouge we'll talk about this i know we'll get into this because the word diversity is you know kind of often used and and really often misunderstood um but the 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 reality is that it, it comes with a whole load of things that are happening, the massive changes that I've been talking about, you know, since pre all this stuff happened. But the issues of transparency, the issues of of, of the world being a much uh, easier to access place in many respects, you know, um, accountability, more visibility on what businesses are doing. Uh, no, you know, stakeholders, shareholders, People starting to to be aware of the business impact of some of this stuff if it's not talked about and dealt with at, at the boardroom level. You know, not not just push it down into some department somewhere across the business or or put it back on consumers. It needs to be tackled at the board. And so, I think these are the things that are starting to to happen. But again, I'm bored of it all being about. I'm bored of talk. Like talk is cheap. You know, it now needs to be action and real action. I'm going to say that's interesting, right? On the back of that, would you agree then that there's a problem with the way businesses and brands approach diversity? Or do you guys think that their problem lies in their definition of diversity? Well, I think there's a huge problem in how diversity is approached. Um, like I always say, uh, the way I kind of put it straightforward for it to make sense is that diversity makes the non-disabled, heterosexual, white, male and female look at the norm. 
And anybody who doesn't fit that box is an other or diverse. So people or marketers think that diversity is black and brown, diversity is disability, diversity is LGBTQ+. It isn't like that. That is normality. We're, we're in a society where there's so many bodies, so many people who embody different things. But at the minute, how I'm seeing it is white European standards are the normality. And everyone's trying to figure out now how they can be diverse, but diversity isn't skin color or, as I said before, someone's identity. And I think that this is, this is where there's a problem for me because not only does it cause not of us show ignorance, we're in a very digital society where cancel culture, everything is on the rise. If not, it's probably been at its highest this year. And, you know, if you're not authentically representing a community, just be prepared for the consumer thought on, on, on your business. Because people are switched on now, like they know when something's authentic, when something speaks to them authentically as to when something's done for marketing purposes. And I feel like a lot of brands <laughs> this year, especially, are scared. Everyone's treading like on eggshells. They're walking on eggshells slightly because businesses have realized that they do not have representation behind the scenes to make diversity work. And to make diversity work, you need the inclusion or representation behind the scenes. So there's, a, there's so many things that go into diversity. And I think because of the lack of um, certain things, it, it, it's been done incorrectly where it's become tokenized. And it's become a tick box exercise. It's become something that looks good on paper. But when it's visually presented, it's like, oh my days, what is this? So do you know what, do you know what I mean? It's a bit, I just find it a bit of, um, I don't know how we've got here, um, but um, I do know that we can change it around. I'm quite optimistic in that sense. Well, well I was going to say, this is, a, this is a question for both of you and a bit of debate here. I mean, racism and, oh, you know, inequality didn't just walk through the door in May this year. Why do you think George Floyd has been such a catalyst for the conversations we're having now, not just about race, but about all facets of equality? Well, I think, you know, I, I think, like I said earlier, the, these conversations have been going on for a long time, you know, and with everything that happens, right, any, anything that happens in the world, right, it just takes a flashpoint for something to happen. And then everything galvanizes around that flashpoint. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, for George Floyd, uh, you know, and, and what happened to him, I mean, in that, in that sense, it, it just so happens that in a moment of, you know, the world just feeling so, in, lots of people feeling incensed and powerless and they'd been shouting for a long time and they were tired and no one was listening to them. This moment happened. And, you know, the it, it, it's like anything. It's like a, it's a, the world at the moment anyway is a tinderbox for a whole load of issues, for a whole, a whole number of issues. And, you know, people have been talking about and shouting about what's been going on around them, in front of them, for them, uh, things that have been blocking them in their careers, blocking them in their lives, blo blo you know, deaths of people, you know, all this all this stuff. And, and after a while, you know, it's, it's like anything, after a while, people just stop talking and they take action. And, you know, when you get those, those tinderbox moments where suddenly action can be taken and it's not just you, it's a, it's a, it's a community, it's a whole, it's a movement, you know, it creates a movement. And I like to think that movements generally are in the in the you know are for good. But you know you go you can go back to things like the Arab Spring. You can go back to any kind of big moments that have happened in the last five ten years and the big change that are happening. And they're down to like I said earlier, they're down to transparency. They're down to democratization of of incidents. And you know it, it used to be fighting a lone battle a lot of the time. You used to be shouting and not being heard. Whereas now. You've got the internet, you've got social media, you've got big groups of people, you've got these niche communities sitting on the internet, all of who will join together and have and have been trying for years and years and now is the moment to push this stuff through. And so they, like I said, they they're sick of talking and now they have we have to do things. You know, things have to get done. And hopefully in the main for the positive. Mm, I, I think I completely agree with you, Scott, on the time for action has definitely come upon us and like people as well as brands and businesses are definitely trying, I think, in some cases too hard to do better than they have been doing in the past. And Arud, I like how you, you put it before, like, like it's not diversity, that's just our society. But for these companies that 
don't like they are scared and they don't have that representation um, at board level and beyond. How can they take action without falling foul to box ticking, like starting with diverse hires? Like how can they even start to fix like years of white colleagues and employees absolutely everywhere without first making those mistakes, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, you know, um, like since obviously the Black Lives Matter has been more amplified, it's, it's, it's brought a lot of conversation to the table. And I did some reading last week and um, so in 2018, um, the Institute of Practitioners and Advertising did a report on ethnic diversity within UK agencies. And it was recorded at its highest level. So we are improving. However, there's still, um, I think, 97.1% of white representation. And uh, that barely moved from 2007's, uh, 2017's 98%. And uh, there's 2%, um, 2.9% uh, Black, Asian, ethnic minority representation. And that's in the creative industry. And now this isn't, this isn't a matter of hiring black and brown. Now people are like, we will be more diverse. That is not, that is not, that is not what you do because that is just causing more problems. I believe that people's tunnel vision of diversity is not actually resolving any problems. It's causing more problems. I think, you know, there needs to be a sense of where, how do you find these people? For one, because would you be would you be given uh, would you be missing an opportunity to hire someone who has a skill set who might be white, or because you want to be diverse, you will just hire somebody black or brown? It's not it's not the way to go. And I think that businesses think that oh, we need to start doing this. I think what needs to be done is opportunity it needs to be provided to communities. And you know, it's not unknown that people from black, Asian, ethnic minorities are probably living in more deprived areas of the UK. So how are you reaching these people? How many how many graduates are you seeing from black Asian ethnic minority groups graduate with a decent grade to get a job in that industry? But what sources are you as a as an agency, as a company providing to communities like this? So it goes beyond hiring, it goes it goes to more providing. Now what can we do to navigate this now? And additionally, I think it, it, it goes back to having more than one representation of one community. Like there's more South Asians beyond Indian. And it's kind of like people just found up South Asians as Indian or Pakistani. And I'm like, wait, you're forgetting Afghanistan, you're forgetting Bangladeshi, you're forgetting Sri Lankan. This is, it's, it's not just face value. There's a matter of actually exploring what communities you, you you could be reaching, you know, and it's a matter of understanding these communities before you hire them. Because if you did hire somebody black or brown to look diverse, you're immediately not inclusive anyway, because that person will come into your workplace immediately, most likely feel like they don't belong. So inclusivity needs to be built in the workplace just as much as diversity needs to be reached to all communities and it is it is a big topic because it's like how do we go about this and the way of going about it is using the privilege and power people have companies have to build a bigger table and that's literally what it is but equally providing those opportunities to people that you wouldn't necessarily be targeting all the time yeah no definitely it's really interesting even to hear you like refer to inclusion in terms of workplace culture and like being able to accept any new hires because like in the industry, equality, diversity, inclusion, those words just get lumped together at those times um, without any like consideration to the nuance. So that's interesting. It's funny you say that because I was having a conversation with a friend and and he's like, well, wouldn't you necessarily go through a process of being unequal to be equal because you'd be missing out um, opportunity to hire somebody who might be white, who has a skill set, but because you want to be equal, you will hire somebody black or brown, but then you're still being unequal to get to, through a process of equal, so it's kind of like, how do you how do you go about this now? I mean, right. let's 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 for one, let's focus on the language used because uh, it's now you know very very common uh, to hear terms like BAME or POC, which is person of color, disabled. I mean, how much does the language that we use inhibit progress? Because 
you know, very much as uh, somebody from a mixed background myself, I, I, for one, very much feel sometimes like I'm in a test tube, and I'm sort of uh, sometimes seen as this kind of category that I that I live in. It's uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, there's got to be something wrong with our categorization of you know these terms in the in the first place, surely. Yeah, I think language. I think I think things have been adapted for quick fixes. Um, and they become buzzwords. So the word diversity originally originated from 14C, um, late early 14C to late 14C, and it was think by the French, and it was used more as oddness or wickedness than Hamilton in his uh, number 60 paper uh, referred diversity to culture. And um, as we would, as as it was, like we would view it, I think it would would have been like relevant at least 10 years ago, but we. Now in society where these words don't work because identity is people are challenging terms, people are challenging the status quo, people are, you know, we have over 100 different genders um, and we have sexuality, we have religion and culture and we're not in 1788 anymore where Hamilton's version of diversity was introduced and we're not in 2003 where diversity was adapted to culture and background we're in 2020 gone into 2021 where we've progressed so much more as a society where we should be adapting and moving with the times but we're going off these terms which are so outdated i can't stand the word bame i absolutely cannot stand the word bame and um i feel like bame minority ethnic now diversity which is not subjective just to race but all words that were created for us they're not chosen by us because people are too afraid to say things for what they are. And I just think, you know, like I'm, I'm a brown Pakistani female. My experiences will never be the same to uh, my black friend or uh, somebody who's, who's gone through different experiences. Because the fact is that we have all had different experiences. So for the words debate to group everyone together and then to sort of have the same treatment is not the right way because everyone's, everyone's, um, experiences have been different and I think BAME POC just rounds everyone up together as if you're a person of colour you're all the same it's still very us and them I think we just have to be quite careful about you know I I agree to a certain degree you know labelling people and labelling big chunks of people it's the same as saying Gen Z and Millennials right it's like when when used in and of themselves without the recognition of what sits behind that then I think it's quite lazy but I think I think the answer to both these questions, funny enough, the question that we talked earlier, Eve, about you know, firstly the language that sits around around how we how we collectively talk about it and how business talks about it, and then how does business then interact with that and make change at the top? And I think the most important thing is the first thing is is there just aren't enough conversations happening at the moment. And my belief is that yeah, all good action starts with really powerful and uncomfortable conversations. I mean, I often talk about in my, you know, in my operating system of business, unblock, unlock, unleash, unblock. You've got to have those uncomfortable conversations in order to understand and to know what it is that you really want in your organisation to represent inclusion and diversity. And of course, I think where the laziness happens is we go, well, people just go, well, yeah, you know what? Uh, as long as I mean, I'll, I'll give you some examples. You know, when when um, when Black Lives Matter suddenly you know hit the news earlier in the year, I had, I had a few people ring me up. Or email me and say, Scott, um, could you could you help us tell us what to do uh, in this situation? Or can you can you give me that? Can we give you this and you give us your thoughts as if I was the whole representation for the black, um, you know, for anyone of color, right? Um, and and to be fair, some, some of those people came back to me and apologized and said, you know what, we got that really wrong. And I said, well, but that's part of the issue, right? Is that we quite often, as I'm saying, we our business quite often go for the lowest common denominator they go for the thing that's easiest to fix they go for the shortcut and they don't have the bigger conversation with themselves to say actually what does this mean what do we need to address what does that really look like um because i tell you you know if businesses don't get over this kind of bundling everyone together and they don't get over this uh recognizing that there's a lot of individuals i think just as aru was making the point here Business is going to suffer. I mean, there are statistics that will show you that teams that are inclusive and have lots of people are really good for business for a number of reasons because they bring diversity of thought, which is my most important thing. You want conflicting experiences and conflicting viewpoints because you want to find blind spots in the strategy. You want to think about how things work for everybody, not just bundle everybody in and go, okay, well, let's all just you know work this out. 
uh, because we've all come from Oxford, Oxford or Cambridge, so we've all got that kind of perspective. So, you know, businesses are going to get hit hard and they're going to lose uh, certain consumer groups who won't buy from them and they will buy from somebody else who really does cater for that audience. And I think the last thing I just want to say on this is, um, I, I, you know, I, I know lots of fantastic, brilliant, I mean, Aruj is one, you know, p- people from all sorts of different backgrounds, you know, and also different genders, all sorts of sexualities who would not in any uh, shape or form want to be thought of as uh, cap in hand, we need you know, we need this to be able to succeed. Um, and this is my this is my issue with advertising and media and and some of those industries, which is it's all well and good saying, come and join this this culture that we have, which feels really alien to you and you don't really want to be part of it because why would you? Um, but it helps us look like our numbers are going in the right direction. So that's all cool. Uh the reality is, you know, my my route forward would always be look at the brilliant work that this huge community outside of your own culture is creating. They're creating better creative work, better music, better uh, art, better whatever, and find really meaningful ways to connect and grow and help shape, help them, those people shape their outputs, connect them with brands, connect them with businesses, connect them with different thinking. Because, you know, frankly, you know, I've got, I've got, a wonderful young photographer, for example, who, who I've been mentoring. And it's like, why is he going to go and work in an ad agency or, you know, or something like that when he can go out, he goes and shoots his own stuff. His stuff is fantastic. He connects with loads of really cool people who are his age, his, you know, different diverse views from everywhere. And he creates great work. He's not going to go and sit in an office for anybody. But how do you, you're not going to bring him in, but you can connect with him in a different way. You can work with him in a different way. He's not sitting there going, oh, woe is me. I can't get any work. Please give me, you know, please give me something. He's like out there going, I'm doing it. You know, and there's so many young people out there doing, saying I'm doing it. So there's also this kind of perception sometimes, I think, that that people are sometimes looking for that step up. And I think there's there needs to be a reframing of that to say, actually, there's loads of young people I know from all different backgrounds doing incredible stuff. They don't they don't need a leg up per se. They just they would like to work with brands, but frankly, they're probably doing better than some of the the brands and agencies are doing anyway. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree. Start there because uh, with my experiences, I found when I've been an employee, and I say these things, I'm not taking it seriously because. I am not management, so I need to listen. Whereas when I'm coming in from outsider, people suddenly want to listen. And I'm like, wait, like I don't get this because surely if you hire me, you should respect my thoughts anyway as an employee, in a, if I mean well for the business. So I realized that, I mean, like, given the fact that we're in a pandemic and freelancing, that it's kind of like, wow, am I better off just doing my own thing? Because businesses have, have normally say, we, we do things this way. And they don't want to listen to anything else because I think it's a whole taking a risk and a safety net. And they're probably thinking, who am I coming in as an employee telling them how to do better when it's not a threat, it's just productive progress, right? But as an outsider, I I can say I've got far more attention from brands than I have been as an employee in a workplace with the same message. Nothing's changed. The message has been the same, but I've just been on the outside talking to them in the inside and you know it's it's like well how do you how how but how can young people be taken a bit more seriously without being defined as millennials or sensitive generation or slow snowflake generation when i don't think we're any of those i just think we we are just trying to pick up the pieces of how damaged society has become well, I was going to say this. This brings us on to an interesting point because, in terms of uh, the influencer marketing space and with creators and whatnot, I'll start with you, Rouge. But what have been your experiences of uh, tokenism? Have you ever had an experience where you felt this feels very tokenistic? They've asked me because um, I'm a young Asian woman and they're looking for you know somebody to fit that bill. Or does the conversation sometimes feel a lot different? I'm, sh- I'm sure there's times when it's not like that. Yeah, and I've definitely felt like that. But I like to, when I get people coming to me, I like to think of it as a very positive approach. Like, it's really weird because, I mean, I'm always in a predicament of, do I do this for a representation because there's nobody like me? But I also know this is very tokenistic. And it's for me, like, it's about, it's, it's a hard one because as tokenistic as it is, there's still not enough people that look like me. So, 
be like, I want to do this. I want to do what's being asked because this could be a good opportunity for me and pave the way for people that look like me. And it could share my story a bit more and my message. But at the same time, I know this is very tokenistic. So it's kind of like, it's, it's sort of like you, you ha- sometimes you have to go with it. Um, but I think for people, there's a, I know there's a lot more strong-minded people than being like, I'm not doing this anymore because I'm not, I'm not going to buy into your brand or X, Y, Z. But I think we're in, we're in a time where as much as I don't like to, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a very relaxed person regardless of my done my diversity campaign. I'm the most chilled person still. That must seem like a burden at times, you know, to, to sort of be the kind of barometer, you know, to be the kind of uh, authority on, on uh, your race and people who, fit, who seemingly fit into the same category. And of course, this goes beyond race, it's gender, it's, it's everything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, you, you've paused a little bit then, but I think I picked up what you said. Um, but yeah, I think I think when it comes to tokenistic, my only problem with that is how literal it is. But you'd be surprised. Um, I don't I don't see myself as a person that gets a lot of brand deals because the fact is, um, I think for people to do tokenism, they would if they wanted a Muslim girl, they would get a girl in a hijab. You know, and if it's weird because I'm not, it's like I know there's a huge colorism issue in the South Asian community, but I'm not light enough to be working with them, but I don't look Muslim enough to be working with the Western brands. <laughs> so it's like I'm somewhat in the middle. So when I do get something, I'm pleasantly pleased with it because it's kind of like, oh, finally someone's noticing me. And I take it more as an opportunity opportunity to represent myself. And if it is tokenistic, it's kind of like, well, how do you say that? How do you say that in an email to to, to a brand without, without coming across um, like, without it coming across as a disrespect because I like to whenever I like to go back to people I like to go back with progress not a problem um and um but I I I can say although things have felt tokenistic I've never I've never um thought it as a negative way necessarily but I think if I was wearing a hijab and I was where I was doing um I, I looked like a Muslim whatever Muslim looks like to western society then I'd be like, on oh, my days, I'm being tokenized. But it's a weird one because people even say to me, oh, you don't look like a Muslim. Are you sure? Like, are you sure you want to do this campaign? And I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? So it's, it's, it's a very, I find it very conflicting, the whole tokenism thing. It sounds conflicting. I mean, is there an air of like, you have to like, grin and bear it and just know you're being tokenized? Because as you said, you want to like, be that representation as well. And that it does sound like quite a burden to have to think about that um, like every time you want to go and talk somewhere. But like, is there an air of responsibility and maybe being like, OK, say if this generation of people just has to be like the first to be box ticked and then maybe we're holding the door open for people who come after and like normalising it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do a lot of I do as many things as I can because I don't see many um, young Muslim women, particularly in the fashion industry, uh, a creative industry speaking like the, uh, even a household name like but we're talking about British uh, in Western media and I struggled to name them so I would love to go through what I need to go through and pave the way because I think when an opportunity comes my way I will take it if it's authentic to me not that I take every single thing but if it's authentic to me for me it is that thing of all right this feels very tokenistic but this is my time to represent and if I decline this, I'm not going to be represented because I find it hard enough to get work. I find it hard enough to get noticed. So this opportunity has come my way. Let me just take this. But I, I will speak about it, the tokenism side. And, you know, use, use. well, if people want to use me, I'll use them just as much as they want to use me. So use their platforms. <laughs> I, think, I, think that's a, I think that's a great point. I think that is, that is at the heart of, of this, because this, the tokenism debate, is kind of really rife and i think there's there's two ways around it which is you know firstly whenever you're going into anything whenever you're going into anything and and representing uh a position of representation you know where you're gonna you're gonna be held accountable for your views or or who you are then you you have to think about okay what else what am i what am i going to get out of it and what am i going to help other people get out of it so i often think about that you know when i when i think about if i'm speaking somewhere or if i'm joining a board or something or I'm or I'm gonna go and work with a, a client. And you know, if you know that, you know, 
they're going to you, know, you can record a keynote and you're on a you know big group of people and it's you know really representative of lots of different perspectives lots of different people lots of different you know just just let's say in a diverse sense then i think that's just hugely important that and then and then and then you know you say right well i want the i want you know these people to be able to access to it as well i want to make sure that you're giving people who don't have access to this sort of thing access to it or you share the video with you know i mentor lots of lots of people from all sorts of backgrounds and i'm also a trustee of the marketing academy and, and we work with young young people from disadvantaged backgrounds who are just incredibly smart and you know just need the need the access to a role they're, when they're in there they're fantastic but you you're you're helping educate other people and and help not you know I don't see myself as a role model anyway but you're helping you're helping people see young people see that there are people uh who look like them or who they know or who they see around about them who are doing things differently and who are you know representing at a different level and are working in marketing if that's where they want to be or they're doing this and that or they've got ideas or they've got their own business or they're a startup founder or whatever and and I think that you, you you always have to weigh those things up, right? It's like as long as I'm going to create access for other people, and it's going to give other people a point of reference that they don't already already have. And how can whoever I'm working with help me make that point? Yeah. Then I'm then I I can't and then I'm in. Yeah, there's like a level of compromise, isn't there? It's like a level of compromise where all right, it's not necessarily the best thing, but it's an amazing thing. Like any opportunity is amazing. And um, I'm, I'm very much the same of I want to I want to pave the way for people like my little sister, people like the, the younger generation that are all like in the, whether you're in the creative industry or not, it's it's opening the doors. And I don't believe there's although many people have tried to open the doors, I believe that this generation is is powerful because we have social media. We we are unapologetically vocal, and we will say what we need to say and wait for brands to acknowledge and wait for statements. And if they're not there, we, my generation will force the, these statements to come out. So it's kind of like, you know, we, we are, we're very much like um, playing kind of a very strong role, I think, um, in today's society. And it's different to what it was five years ago, 10 years ago. It's, it's more amplified. And um, I believe that, you know, regardless of an opportunity being tokenistic or not, I li- I'd like to think that I can compromise with, with the opportunity and open up the doors as well as using um, platforms to promote myself in a way, I guess. It's, do, do we see uh, in 2020, many would still say there's, a, there's still a proverbial uh, glass ceiling. So we've, we've gotten used to seeing... Well, Scott, I suppose you're um, a perfect example of this. Somebody who's gone to that board level at some major brands, you know, you're obviously a fantastic CV, brands like uh, Diesel, I believe, and came through Sachi's uh, before that. We're used to seeing, obviously, a, a lot more uh, sort of inclusion at certain scales within business. But is it a problem that many people who are listening to this might be like, oh, when I look at my executive board, it is still predominantly white middle class? How much of an issue is of, of that is, and at what point do we get to a point where you know we, we begin to see more people, not just in sort of creator, influencer, creative director roles, but in those real kind of what people would deem as board level? Well, there's a reality, right? I mean, the reality is they are, <laughs> you know, um, because because as as much as we'd like change to happen overnight, there's a couple of things that hold it back. You know, I always ask the, I do a lot of work, sort of helping people transform their business and one of the questions you know invariably loads of businesses are stuck in the same thinking doing the same thing time and time again there's a reason for that it's because you have to ask the question well who's winning right it it feels bad on the outside like well why aren't there more people or why aren't boards more more diverse why aren't there more women on boards why aren't there more black people more asian people Uh, well because someone else is winning and that's why there's not and while those people, while those winners are winning, why would you know put put the shoe on the other foot? I mean, this is part of the challenge. It's being empathetic, as hard as it might be, but really understanding if you're if you're a middle middle aged white man, and, and doesn't matter what you if that's the case. But on on some of these boards, if you're you know earning a million pounds a year and you're you know you're getting a huge bonus and a huge dividend, and everyone around you you're in one big club. And everyone can make the same jokes and everyone can go out for dinner in the evening. Everyone knows each other's kids and their wives and everything else. It's all one big fun party. Why are you going to change? 
And so the reality is that that isn't going to change overnight. And also, I also don't think that the way to do it is just to drop and parachute people in, you know, more women in, more black faces, more Asian faces, if they're not, if they're not capable of doing the role. The truth is there are loads and loads and loads of incredible leaders out there, women, you know, black men, black women, Asian women, Asian, you know, whatever, you, whatever colour that you want to look at, uh, there are loads of them out there. And I'm not sure whether there is, a, there is, I mean, I know that there's some evidence and everything else about glass ceilings. And, and part of it is, yes, there's a reality of that. But also I, I think that there's a sense of um, we, can, we can impose our own glass ceiling on ourselves. You know, I've, I've never once ever, and I was never taught this by my mum, you know, I, I, I've been taught that you, you just go, <laughs> you know, you just keep going and keep going and grow and grow and grow. And I've been really, I mean, whether I've been really fortunate or whether I've, you know, I've, I've sort of proven that out. I've been on boards. I've just been made a, a non-exec for another board, and I, you know, I work with CEOs, and I find it them very welcoming to what I've got to say, and 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 very open, and very, now that just might be the clients that I work with who are all fantastic in that respect, and they have a lot of kind of diversity and inclusive boards, um, but you know, I think there the, there is a sense of reality that not everything's going to change at once, and also the other thing is right, who says? Back to Aruji's original point, who says that being a board member on a, you know, on a FTSE 500 company is everyone's, you know, a goal or achievement, right? You know, some, some people just, they create their own businesses. They've got their own boards. They've got their own. These things are going to emerge in the next 10 to 15 years, you know, with all this stuff that's changing right now. Company, let's just say diverse companies, but companies built on real values, deeper, different values, new companies that are fit for purpose for what's going on in the 2020 and beyond, they're going to emerge and become extremely powerful businesses. I mean, you look at your own business, you know, um, but look at, you know, people, this generation are going to come out. The, the things that we thought are, were kind of normal 20 years ago and the issues that, that we've dealt with over the last, you know, in my career, 25 years, whatever, the, this generation coming through, it's like, we don't want any of that in our business. Thank you very much. And these and 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 like Aruji's outlook is probably. I mean, I know it is because I've spoken. But it's a it's a, it's a global outlook, right? Lots of lots of businesses sort of go. Oh, we need to go global. And we need to do this. And like people like Aruji and and you know that and look like yourselves. It's like well, we're we're already global. Thanks very much. And so those issues just just don't necessarily sit within the organisation. It's part of that they're building companies, you know, for who, what what young people are about, what that generation are about. I agree. I think adding to that, you know, like so, I like to come in with a lot of facts and stats whenever I'm doing something because I've learned it's all well and good shouting and activism about representation, but people want to see money on the table and they want to see they want to see that return on influence and return on investment. So, um, like even even speaking about younger people, as Scott was saying, so currently um, ethnic minorities, younger young people around 24, they account for 20% of the population um, in the UK. But by 2051, they will be one in five of the population. So, I mean, we're getting we're getting younger, <laughs> somewhat younger at 2051. And it's like, right, so if young voices are disamplified and the younger generation are on TikTok making these activism videos or whatever they're doing, I mean, Brian's, you need to be prepared for what is about to come because as much as, you know, you're going to see one that you want the money on the table and you're living comfortably, board members, whoever it may be, um, the point of the matter is I think action starts now. I believe everyone is aware. I don't, I don't for one minute, not believe that we we were not aware is is an excuse anymore. Um, I believe everyone is aware of what needs to be done, and um, if it's implemented now, and people are listening, people are actively making decisions that are more inclusive and represent accurately within the next ten fifteen years, we could see big changes. Um, but it's not an overnight thing. Like this doesn't mean because someone like I might go consult a company and the next day they'll change. It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. It's all a work in progress, and we have to be realistic. But I'm very pleased that the conversations are somewhat brought to light now. Um, and whether it's this pandemic that's um, allowed us to consume information more directly and feel sensitive to issues and whether it was a Black Lives um, movement being amplified. I just feel like I'm hoping that there's going to be a lot more compassion and empathy in 
what needs to be done. And a lot of it comes down to not being ignorant, but education and, um, you know, and, and just, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a positive, optimistic person without being like within the fairies. I still think that if this conversation is, is, is done now and the mic is passed, um, you know, we don't necessarily need to be board members. We don't necessarily need to be, um, CEOs, but we are voices that organizations can listen to. Things will improve massively and it's important as not seeing it as an attack, but seeing it as a, a productive criticism in, in how we can move forward. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned like attacks because one question we did have was, you know, this culture of virtue signaling and all the brand statements that came out. And I know, Rude, you mentioned that like our generation will wait for a brand to make a statement. Um, and Scott, even you saying the importance of us being able to have these super uncomfortable conversations. I just want to know, I guess, how you both feel or whether or not you advocate brands doing that publicly and externally, like as we've seen on social happen in the past few months. Yes, 100%. I think all a lot of consumers want is brands to stand for something. I think when there's lack of trust in society and who's running it, it falls back down to community. And if communities show that they care, then that's a big thing. You know, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a, again, a society where we don't know who to believe or what is actually happening. So the only kind of trust we have is the people that we like, whether that's the brands we buy into or the leaders we choose to listen to. I think as a consumer, people just want people to stand for something and be like, okay, I belong. And this is where, this is where I can see, I can see myself and this person cares. Um, and it all again falls down to community and creating that belonging and creating that community. Though I think cancel culture is toxic itself, I don't think I don't think I think it's only toxic when it's used every single time for everything. But I do believe that sometimes, it, as much as it isn't progressive, the kind of pressure on a brand is progressive. But I hope that that statement isn't just to say save them and it's coming from genuine heart but I guess nobody truly knows nobody truly knows what it means when a brand releases a statement is it is it to save their brand or is it because they genuinely care yeah I mean for like for the brands that want to show up in the right way how would you guys um I guess advise them to overcome this fear of speaking out because like over the summer there was like I felt like half the people online were being really encouraging and being like, do you know what? It's a start. Like they've got some things to learn, but it's a start. And then there's this other side, which, you know, rightfully really angry, but criticizing brands for not showing up in the right way. And sort of this air of skepticism over anything that was then put out, uh, which I guess for me, I think is going to have the opposite effect of brands going back in their shells because they don't want to risk their brand reputation. And um, when in fact, I don't know, it's better to, to make a start. What, what do you guys make of that? Well, I I think there's um I think brands have got to be gotta be uh cool enough to show their workings. Like when I was at when I was a kid, you do your maths homework, the teacher would always say, show your workings, not just the end number, right? And uh, I think the brands that fell foul of of everything that happened in the summer were, you know, there's a bit I'm not gonna name any brand names, but there was a big American brand who, you know, did a did a black square on their Instagram feed. So I mean by virtue signaling. Yeah, exactly. Uh, only for it to come out, you know, three weeks later that the, one of the most senior people in the organisation was blatantly racist to um, to black women members of staff. I think we might be thinking of the same brand, but I'm not going to mention any names. No, we won't mention them. But, the, but it was even a secret code for um, black customers. So... And you know, and then they put up a black square saying we're 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 all we're right behind you. Now this is what I mean about you know authenticity, truth, transparency, and you know sticking and believing in your values. So you know what they could, and there's lots of brands who don't speak up because they probably know deep down that there is something inherent within their organisation, um, and they feel that they need to. But again, show your workings. You know, I think people were more respectful of brands that say, look, we've got it wrong. You know, we know we've got it wrong, but now we're going to listen and we're going to do something about it and then do something about it. Uh, and there are there are brands who have been doing something about it for years and, and might not even say anything about it. You know, Ben & Jerry's is a great example. I just think of a brand, you know, I know the people at that brand and I've followed that brand for years. And just how they constantly find a voice and have a voice in really complex situations. 
not for any reason of virtue signaling or anything else, but that's just part of the, that's just baked into their brand or frozen into their brand, as it were. And that's what they've always stood for. And therefore, they've got the right to, to say the things that they say, but they choose the things that they say in the right way. They don't jump on every single bandwagon. And I think brands, you can't jump on every single bandwagon. If there is something you feel passionately about, think about, well, how does that impact my own organisation? And what have we been doing about it? And how real is it for us? And then be true and authentic to that if you feel that it's meaningful. Or frankly, keep quiet, <laughs> you know? I mean, just keep just keep quiet. No, I agree. I think even even when it's got like the black square and a lot of brands posted, but I find in the influence marketing industry, I find it massively contradicting. I won't mention any brands, but let's just say a lot of brands that appropriate black culture didn't work with a single black influencer during that year from January up until the summer. As a black square, they suddenly start posting black models who have model wear clothing. And now we're back where the feed is back to normal. <laughs> normal being what it was, what it was before this happened. And it's kind of like, it goes beyond the grid. You know, this goes beyond Instagram, beyond the grid, beyond what, however you're showing to be inclusive. Um, we're becoming more data savvy. So we will ask for stats, percentages. And when you look at it, a lot of companies don't have uh, the representation they need. And, you know, we... We say, I've worked in the modeling industry, I've worked in many creative industries, um, freelanced in so many places. But what I've learned is before I used to say, we need more representation on camera. That can't happen now because we don't have enough representation behind the scenes. And I think the representation behind the scenes needs to happen before we can implement that onto camera. Because the last thing we want now is what I've learned is as culturally inexperienced people create communities they don't understand. So they by throwing on... Uh, someone from a community it's the same it's back in a circle there needs to be people who understand that community for people to present that community accurately i want to get on to a final point guys as well um we've spoken a lot about branding and advertising and whatnot but I want to quickly talk just for the last sort of section about awards uh because it's very common to uh with you know we have awards that separate black and asian excellence and black businesses and minority businesses and so on and so forth given the conversations that we've had do you think they they still sort of have a place in 2020 are they sort of counterproductive that we are still pigeonholing success even as if it is from that community if you know what i mean i don't see it as pigeonholing i see it as an opportunity to be seen we're not seeing enough. So if this if this small percentage of an award or a event is how we're seen, then so be it. You know, if you look at I don't know, like you look at the Oscars of Bath, there's very little um, ethnic minorities that are nominated in them awards anyway. So when we get awards like this, which recognise brown excellence, black excellence, it is needed because it shows this is who we are and this is what we're capable of. And I don't, I don't, I don't see it as a pigeonholing thing. I see it as more of a thing of empowerment because we need to take a seat and we need, we need these things to be heard. Um, but yeah, well, Scott, what are your thoughts on that? No, no, I mean, I agree. I took years and years ago, they were very necessary, right? Because they really, there was, there was no celebration of, of success for the variety of, of different communities out there. But, but even more so now, and I love that actually. I love the fact there's a kind of a pr- proliferation of each of these these different awards because, you know, frankly, uh, who doesn't deserve to be celebrated, you know, for doing great things? And um, quite often, there's not enough role models for you know for women, for girls, for men, for boys, for you know whatever. And you know, being able to you know, my friend runs the, the Black British Business Awards. You know, and the, and and the people on there who win awards, you know, I look up and go, wow, they inspire me as well. And if they inspire me, they inspire other. And they're not all sitting on boards, you know. They're they're entrepreneurs. They're creating new things. They're creating incredible stuff. So it serves as a reminder as well on the on the occasion that you need it. That you know there are brilliant people who look like you, who look like me out in the world doing incredible things. You know, the moments when you're sitting there going, oh, you know, how am I going to run my business? How am I going to change this? How am I going to do that? You can get inspired by someone else and maybe pick up the phone or, or connect with them. Um, and also, I mean, I, I've been on I've been on uh, the power list three times in my career, you know, the top 50 most influential uh, 
black men, as it were. And I actually found it, I actually found it um, just incredible, like networking and feeling part of a, of, of a, feeling accountable, actually, accountable that because I'd been recognised in that way, it's incumbent on me to also go out and help the next generation of, of young people come through and have the opportunities that, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've kicked doors down, you know, I've, <laughs> quite often I've, I've booted the door right off because, you know, that was the only way I could get in. And thankfully, I, you know, I'm sure there is still that, that, that still is the, the reality for a lot of, of people. But, I, you know, if the doors open a little bit, you know, and I've opened it a tiny bit and it's a bit ajar, I'd like to help a few more people in. And it's having that accountability by being recognised that I think is also really important. Yeah, 100%. I, I won um, an Asian Media Award in 2019 for my work and my Instagram, everything that I was doing. I remember when I, fir- when I was first nominated, I was kind of like, oh, am I subjective to this? So because it wasn't necessarily a negative thing, but it was kind of like, it was, um, I was like, oh, this is my identity, so I should, be, I should be proud, right? And then I didn't expect to win it, but I won it. And I was like, oh, wow, like I am representing women like myself like business women like myself, which which could inspire um, a new generation of women wanting to reach into marketing business, uh, whether that's body inclusivity, fashion, whatever it might be. And um, like when I want, it, it just felt quite empowering that I can, I've been recognized within my own community. And that to me is really important. And this is where it starts, that my own community accepts me and they recognize me and they, they support me. Now I need to take this into the Western world and be like, I know, I know that I'm good enough. So this is, this is where I come in. And it gives you definitely a bit of an ego boost, but also, also a bit of, um, also a bit of, um, confidence. And I think when you're constantly being knocked down and you're like, whether it's people don't know how to pronounce your name or whatever it might be, um, it definitely gives the confidence in actually, I know my worth and, I can I can do this because I'm already I'm already recognised with my own community. Now I just need to knock down the doors in and create a space that wasn't necessarily created for me in the Western world. But I think I think it's quite empowering. It makes you want to work not about 20, 30 times harder than what you've been going at Fantastic. right now. Uh... Well, we, we both recognise your worth, both of your worth uh, tremendously, and you know both. Uh... Clearly very inspirational and uh, what a fantastic discussion. Thank you yeah, very really much for joining us, Thank guys. You Thank you. Thanks for having us. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young and produced by Ollie Thompson. 